Welcome to BAME Creatives In Conversation With, a brand new podcast with me, Vikram Grover, where each episode we chat to BAME artists from the creative industry about representation in the arts today, as well as a discussion about their careers, journeys, hopes and dreams. Enjoy. This episode is going to be slightly different than what our show normally is. This month is Black History Month in the United States. And in accordance with this, I, along with Tia Takali, who will be co-hosting this episode with me, felt it was important for our guest to be someone whose story and work is a perfect example of what this month celebrates. As such, it is a pleasure and privilege to say that my guest this week is Jakari Harris. Jakari is an author, life coach, entrepreneur, and the executive director of the George Floyd Memorial Foundation. Jakari began his work as an advocate for foster care and adopted youth, and along with his own business enterprises and charitable work, also holds a cool three college degrees and a CV that is almost as impressive as his own personal story. Jakari, it's so great to speak with you. How are you? Where are you? Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be on with you all. Um, I'm doing great. Um, I am born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida, but I currently live in Houston, Texas, in the United States. So it is a pleasure and we are honored uh, to be on uh, this podcast with you all. No. How are you all? We're great. We're great. Yeah, right? we're good. We're good. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. It's of our course. first international podcast, this one, actually. So we're breaking all sorts of records today. <laughs> this is the first one. Let, let, let's go. I'm excited. <laughs> let's do it. Okay. So we're forming a little bit of a tradition on this podcast where my first question to our guest every episode is one that is normally seen as microaggressive and uncomfortable, but we want to reclaim it because we know how proud of our heritage we are. And I hope you don't mind my asking the question we've all heard a million times before. Where are you really from? What is your ethnic background? Uh, definitely. Well, um, my father um, was born in Tallahassee. Um, but, you know, we have African roots, of course. Um, I'm not too certain exactly where because I was adopted, so I didn't get the historical piece um, through the transition. Um, but I know now that all of my family resides in Tallahassee, Florida, um, so that's where I was born and raised. But um, that is a question that I'm eager to learn about. So now I want to go back and uh, get that information. Absolutely, yeah. Like tracing your ancestry is such a cool thing to do, and. I feel like it everyone is. wants to do it. Although I'm a little bit like suspicious of just giving my DNA to like this private company. I don't know. I'd like, I feel a bit weird about it if I was to do that. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, it is a little weird. It's like, how can they find that information? But I, for me, it's something worthwhile because it's about uh, knowing who you are and learning more about yourself and your uh, uniqueness. I feel like mine would be really boring. I feel like I know exactly where I come from. All the way, I feel all like the way mine back. would throw up like random stuff. I yeah, feel like what? that's yeah. what I think as well. I'm yeah. like, they, they, they're they gonna try to make me believe that I have more siblings, more family, <laughs> for this, more that. I'm just like, I, I don't know if I really want to. That, that's a lot of transparency, <laughs> but again, for me, it's one of the things where I ask, Hey, let's try it out. You never know what you may learn, and you may have someone out there that may be, that may be related to you that you really just didn't know, and you all start speaking about it and learn together that you are really related. So, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one for sure. Um, and we it could talk is. all day about that, but no, we've got more important and more pressing issues to be talking about. Um, I think it's really important that we start with um, 
the George Floyd Memorial Foundation, which is how we came to to meet and connect and have some really important conversations. And we're obviously very grateful that we're able to have another one with you here today. Um, you're fairly new to your role as executive director. Yes, I am the executive director for the George Floyd Memorial Foundation. I had started early January and, you know, I've been hitting the road running the team and I, uh, we are excited. We've released a scholarship program for high schoolers and legal students. Um, and we have just done so many great things and have taken so many strides. Now, we're bringing a new day to the world in terms of police brutality, in terms of uh, equality, in terms of justice, education and awareness through our programs and initiatives. And it takes people like you all um, and Londa and wherever um, individuals are to join in and get involved with our work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's uh, from the outset, it seems like something that is so, it's capturing the zeitgeist of what society needs today. And I think the work that, like, the work that you guys are doing is incredible. And it's a giant privilege to have you on the show. Um, but like, I was wondering, like, how you, how you got into that role? Like, if you, if you look at, I'm, I'm sure there was an application process and all of this sort of thing, but like, what attracted you to it? Why, like, what spoke to you about the foundation that made you apply? And how did that then translate into the work that you're currently doing? Definitely. Great question. Thank you. So initially, um, when I was in high school, I was an intern at uh, Parch and Crump Law Firm. And um, now Attorney Crump, he owns the Ben Crump Law PL, um, PLLC. And I was continue working with him in his office during a Trayvon Martin case and other cases um, as they received national attention. And so when I learned about the George Floyd case that he took on, um, I got involved with the family, started doing some boots on the ground work with the family. And uh, Bridget Floyd, the founder of the foundation, um, she uh, asked me if I could be on the board of directors due to my experience and expertise and knowledge. So I said, sure. So I joined the board of directors back in August of last year. Um, and this past January, the board of directors position was open. Um, so I said, you know, I'm interested. And we you know, went from there. The board of directors believed in me, believed in my work, believed in, you know, um, all my vision for the foundation. And since then, we've been hitting the road running. Just on the back of that, I was just going to say kind of, um, you know, where you're looking to take the, the foundation now, because, you know, you've reached out to us. And I think one thing you really stressed was that you're really kind of looking on building outreach and building international connections. So now you have this kind of role um, where you see it going, like what you want to achieve with it. Definitely. Thank you so much. That's a great question as well. I'm, you know, we are strategic in all that we do. I have like a strategic mindset. So when thinking about the foundation, I'm not thinking just about today. I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking about next week. I'm thinking about next month. I'm thinking about next year. Because in order to build a solid foundation, you know, we have to get individuals from all backgrounds um, all countries, all everywhere involved with our work. George Floyd death impacted the entire world. So how about now we get the world involved with our work? 
So that is the reason why I said, hey, you know, let's start reaching out to those individuals who we know that have sold support to the foundation and those who we know who have sold support to the uh, to George Floyd. And there is millions of organizers, of constituents, of people, of groups, of organizations, of businesses all around the world that have shown their love and support uh, for George Floyd. So now this is our way of giving back to the community by starting the George Floyd Memorial Foundation with programs, with initiatives, with resources, with development opportunities so that com the community can continue to get involved with our work and we can work with them, but also to eliminate police brutality, to bring awareness to um, um, issues within our justice system, within our policing system, um, and to continue to educate people on the things that they can do right in their community to combat these issues. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, obviously, it is, the, the, the greatness of the task is probably matched only by its difficulty um, in what you're trying to do. Um, and it's like entirely admirable across the world. And George Floyd was not the first person right. um, to be to be to be murdered by police officers. Those that are sworn to protect the citizens um, of America. Um, and I, I don't think he was the last either. Um, but there was something. There was something. There was something about his death in particular that really rocked the foundation and while you know the deaths of other people like Ahmed Arbery and people people like that they 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 reached national news George's death was internationally documented and and discussed and like obviously seen so viscerally what do you think was different about George definitely what I think is People saw a man begging for his life, begging to breathe for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And I'm not sure about you, but I, when I make myself stop breathing for 10 seconds, I begin to feel dizzy. 20 seconds, 30 seconds. So I can only imagine, one can only imagine how it feels for someone to have their knee pressed down on your neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, screaming, begging, pleading, demanding, crying for your life. Um, so when, I, when that video released and started going around the world even more, I, I believe that people was, one, very upset, two, very mad and concerned. Mad because the, the knee was on his neck. Concerned about why is a police officer not getting off of his neck? Why isn't a police officer taking other strides to do what he needs to do to ensure that he is safe and George Floyd is safe? Because the goal of the police officer is to not kill. It's not to commit um, these acts of violence um, against community members. Um, it's to protect. Um, and he didn't do that. The, the officers did not do that. And so I believe that people got very upset and very tired. And with the other deaths that started arising and coming about due police brutality, people got simply fed up. They, they want to see change. And George Floyd's um, death was just the, was just the, the, the launching to something new. To a to a to a new birth in this world, um, because we had organizations all across the world to release statements, 
um, to um, re- review their fees and to uh, review their strategic plan and to change the up that's more diverse, that's in the best interest of African American and other min- minorities. So when we see individuals and companies changing um, their information to be more uh, uh, quality, then we know that we are taking those strides and advances to see change within the world. I was going to say, I don't know whether you think, I've read a couple of things about this, but how the pandemic has actually helped the movement in terms of people themselves are now kind of, they're not going out, they're not working, they're spending a lot of time within their own thoughts, reflecting, you know, the media is playing such a huge role in our lives. So I I read a couple of articles um, and news reports um, about how kind of, the pandemic has potentially kind of helped with this movement. I don't know what your opinion would be on that. Yes, I, I certainly do so as well. I can, you know, I've been home, um, of course, due, due, to, due, due to the pandemic, and you have nothing, you don't, you don't have, have nothing much to do. Um, or, you know, if you're working, you know, you, you're working your eight, nine hours, however many hours you're working, but there's still those few free couple minutes throughout that, throughout those days, throughout those hours. So you go on social media, you turn on the news, you turn, you turn on the radio, and all you hear is the death of George Floyd. So people want to know, who is George Floyd? Why did, he, why did he die in the hands of police? And why didn't they take other measures to ensure that he was safe? So I do think um, social media and the internet um, and media and just the radio, all of those uh, outlets had a huge role in the um, awareness of George Floyd and police brutality and other lives that were killed in the hands of police. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the power of social media um, good or bad, has really been seen in this past year. And obviously, there have been incredible movements like like the ones that you have been so instrumental in starting and, and nourishing, but there have also been the ones that have not been as fruitful and have actually been entirely destructive. Of course, you know, we'd be remiss not to talk about the recent, um, the recent stampede in Washington, D.C., Um, for someone that's in your professional position and also someone that's come from where you've come from, when you, when you see what's being told on the news about these mobs and these people that are these rioters, they're not people, you know, they first try to call them protesters, but no, they're, they're rioters. What do you, what do you see when you see that? And what does that make you think about the work that you're doing? Thank you. That's a, that's a great question. I get that question quite often. Uh, well, first, um, I think of, I, I compare what happened on January 6th in D.C. to um, the peaceful marches and protests that happened early on um, in George Floyd's death. And I look at the um, how involved were the police in the um and just those individuals, the elected officials, different things of that nature. And I realized um, that for the Black Lives Matter marches and rallies and protests, there were hundreds of polices everywhere trying to stop individuals from protesting, from marching due to these Black lives being killed by the police. However, when you look on January 6th, 
you have police officers taking pictures, taking videos with these rioters. They, they were not protesters. And quite frankly, um, they they were not what a U.S. citizen should be uh, when we say we, we, we love and protect. Uh, you know, the United States and our capital and those monumental um, buildings and those historical buildings um, that have been placed there at the heart of the people's building. Um, so I think um, that what occurred on January 6th is not of America. Um, it's not the true meaning of America. And I, um, I hope and want people to realize that together we can do more than we can divide it. Um, so I do believe, um, and I'm going to stand to it, um, that Trump um, was the individual that uh, allowed those in the, uh, allowed those rioters to uh, riot and 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 protest and take over the state capitol and do the damage they they um, that they did. And it's all about what you say and how you say it. And uh, unfortunately, those um, those individuals believed everything you know, Trump was saying and they follow every instruction Trump gave. And sometimes you have to be wise on is this the best idea or best instructions that I'm giving? Because someone can tell you one thing, but if you know better, why won't you do what's best? And I don't think those individuals um, realize the consequences of their actions. Um, so it's very sad and sickening. And it's my hope um, that they are convicted for the felonies that um that they took about yeah yeah absolutely i think i think in recent times we haven't seen a clearer more documented example of a direct attack against democracy um and it's 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 almost like it's almost like watching a a film you know you can't it's it's so fictitious yeah it's scary and for me, I visit Washington, D.C. often. I always visit those areas that they were uh, breaking into when, you know, the Capitol. It, it was just, it's just scary to know that people have the, the strength to have the ideas, to have the guts, I would say, to do those things to the landmarks that I'm sure that they have toured and loved. Um, but they just were in a mindset that was not of America. Absolutely. In such a in such a direct, you know, hatred and almost a, like a civil unrest against the democracy of the country. Like, how do you think the work that you're doing in terms of the scholarships? Because I think the mo- one of the most impressive things about the foundation is that a lot of your focus is on education and allowing opportunities for those who otherwise might not be able to have them for financial or social or economic reasons. Mm. Um, do you think that education is the most important thing in making sure that this doesn't happen again? Education is the prime need of the hour. Um, and I got that from Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, um, a civil rights leader, activist, the founder of Bethune Cookman University in Daytona Beach, Florida, from an HBCU. And the reason why I say that is because if people have education, they have not, they have knowledge, they have power, they have wisdom that other people who don't have as education may not have. Um, so just one of the things were as we said, how can we invest in individuals and constituents and uh, students? And, you know, we know um, the 
gap, the financial gap that students have um, in undergrad and in law school. But we want to for them to continue that push, to continue that fight, to receive their education, to receive that law school degree. And we need more black lawyers um, in the South, in the United States in general. Therefore, we are really pushing out this legal scholarship to encourage those individuals to apply. And it, it, it will close in on the gap for you. From that standpoint, we think education is very essential. So we're going to continue to invest with our resource, with community resources and those education endeavors and initiatives. And on the other end, we want to continue to educate the community on what we're doing, how we're doing it, so they can be involved. Because sometimes there are so many resources out there and programs out there that individuals just simply did not know about. But if we educate them and their way of understanding, they'll be able to hop on and join us. I just wanted to backtrack a little bit because I, I study politics. So I, I was it. doing a little looking into kind of you and I've seen that you interned with Kamala Harris, um, which to me, I was like, that's so cool. That's so exciting. So I wanted to know if you could tell me a bit about that, but also like kind of phrase it around the question of obviously Kamala has a mixed heritage. She's now the a vice president of the United States. And kind of in light of everything that's happened over the past year, where do you see this new Biden administration, kind of Kamala as vice president? Is this kind of a, a new beginning for American politics? Is this is this an, a, a positive, optimistic time? Kind of what your take on that is, especially considering kind of you've worked with her. Thank you. Uh, I love that question. Uh... Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is impeccable. She's an impeccable leader. She's a visionary. Um, and working with her was an honor of my lifetime. I did not know at the time that she would be the vice president of the United States and uh, possibly the president in the future. Um, but what I do know is she's a hard worker. Um, she's very detailed oriented. She wants to ensure that constituents um, have the resources that they need, are aware, and ensuring that she that they know that she's advocating for them every single day. I'm certain that she wakes up every day knowing that she has work to do for the people. She's about the people. Um, and how I got involved with the internship um, is I learned a little, little bit more about uh, Vice President Kamala Harris back in 2018 when I was an undergrad at Bethune-Cookman. And I said, you know, my last name is Harris. Her last name is Harris. And what, <laughs> what her vision her vision for California is great, and I have a vision for Florida since I'm from Florida, and I plan on maybe running for office one day. Never know. But I wanted to be under her leadership um, to learn more about the ins and outs of the U.S. Senate, of politics, of community work, and working with her senior leaders uh, to learn about that. So the internship was amazing. I enjoyed it. Um, I think my favorite component of the internship was planning and executing the townhouse meetings um, throughout the state of California that I had the pleasure of attending with um, uh, Senator Kamala at the time, Kamala Harris at the time. Um, but now as she's transitioned to be the first African-American woman of Asian descent in the president of the United States, I feel a new day um, is here, a, a new, a, a fresh breath. I, you know, we can actually breathe. And I remember George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. But now um, I know the Floyd family. I know that I am. I know that other community and activists, we are being able to breathe fresh air with hope, with possibility. 
um, with determination and partnership, working together more unified. And I believe that we are, and like I said before, together we can do so much more than we can divide it. No, that, that's yeah. great. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I'm not still really like, sure. wow, yeah. I'm starstruck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not really sure how to follow that. I mean, hearing that, you know, you are considering yourself a, a, a career further in politics is obviously nothing but good news um, to, to like-minded individuals across the world, not just in America. Um, talking about, because it's really interesting, she is a breath of fresh air, as you said. She is... She is someone that, you know, has brought a fresh new perspective and and doesn't speak in the same rhetoric that we've seen leaders of the world speak. You know, despite who they are, they all sound the same um, in many ways, um, apart from the most recent one who sounds very different to the rest. But um, how do you think that she... Like, do you think that the Biden-Harris administration is going to be able to do anything new or do you think that yes. their first port of call should be to do, undo all the all the things that have happened in the past four years um i think on his first well, day as president you know biden he signed so many bills and about four of them were direct undoings of trump's bills so yeah. where do we see new things happening or is it more about rectifying what has gone wrong I, I think what's going to occur um, after reviewing everything and just analyzing and um, just seeing how the economy is working now, I really think that um, the main priority right now is to come back the coronavirus, this pandemic, um, to get people back working, to get uh, families back healthy with jobs, with money, with food, those resources that they need um, that they may have not been afforded to during the Trump era. Um, so I think that's the main priority um, right now for the Biden-Harris administration. And then on top of that, I believe, I know they're working on different initiatives and programs and bills and laws um, that will uh, be more unit, that will bring more unity, bring more jobs, bring more trust in the government. Um, and they're being more, tra- they're being transparent about it. And that's what I like there. Um, their transparency is impeccable. They're bringing us as constituents on the journey with them, learning things as they're learning, as they're growing, as they're leading. And that is what I like in a leader. I like transparency. I like for me to be brought on a journey. Like, like let's tell a story together. And that is what they're doing. So yes, I believe that once we truly come back this pandemic, they will be able to continue to hit the road running and bridge the gap um, on all levels and I think people on both ends, on both sides of the spectrum will now be able to work together because we don't have a leader who is, who comes off angry, who makes jokes, who talks about women, um, who doesn't support the LGBTQ in uh, many capacities. So I believe that this new administration is really going to unify uh, the world. Um, I believe, yes, they're going to continue to undo those things that uh, it's not aligned with the core values of the United States that Trump uh, may have done. And uh, they have all the right to do so because when, when when you, for instance, if you're cooking and one day you cook without the incorrect ingredient for the same uh, dish you made five years, it may, it may not turn out the right way. But if you start over and cook that dish with the correct ingredients, it will be just as good as you did the first time. So that is what 
um, the Biden and Harris administration they're doing. They're going back and funneling in, um, digging deep, diving deep into the work that Trump did and seeing what was good, what wasn't good, what was needed, what wasn't needed, what was fair, what wasn't fair, what was unified, what wasn't unified. And they're bringing about a new day for America. I've got one more sort of like political central question and then I want to shift it back towards the foundation because it's such a pivotal moment in time right now for the foundation and we really want to talk about that. But something that I'm picking up from what you just said, um, seeing what in the Trump administration was good and what was bad, you're, the way that you're speaking is really refreshing um, because I think a lot of a lot of the time when we see political commentary, it's entirely polarized. Um, and that's not just a feature of United States media. You see it in this country as well and across the world where you sort of have like a two-party system in a way. Do you think that there were elements of Trump's presidency which can be looked at in the opposite way to the changes that people want to make in, 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 in as you said, the, the good ways and the fair ways and, and anything like that. Do you think that there are points like that? Or do you think that doesn't matter because of everything that he did to undo that? Well, um, what I think is, um, the Trump era, the Trump administration, they have, they, they may have done a few things that, you know, help certain groups or um, they have they may have, you know, uh, sign executive orders that help certain programs or initiatives. Um, but now that we are in a new administration, in a new day, we're really able to see exactly what can be done if two come together, if three come together, if both parties come together. Um, so that is what I look forward to seeing the unity on, in the House and the Senate. Um, of course, we have uh, the Democrats have the White House, but seeing the uh, two come together, one, um, and it's going to be bigger than what we think the two is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when we were, because as I'm sure you're aware, we we put, when we when we first found out about the thing that had happened with George Floyd's death and everything around that. Um, you know, our response was to try and raise awareness and to raise money to put towards the foundation, but also we're creatives. And so we had to do something creative for it because that's our best expression of thought. Um, One thing that we looked at when we were looking through all the news footage is um, a video after George Floyd's death of his daughter sitting on, I think it's her uncle's shoulders, shoulders, and she's saying, um, my daddy changed the world. Personally, for me, that was probably one of the most hard-hitting pieces of news media that I'd seen about the entire, the entire incident and, and all of its ramifications. And I think that it's really true, because even though you know she was, a, a, at the time, a small child, like his death affected the entire world and, and changed a lot of thinking. And there was certainly in this country, a lot of people realizing that even though they may not have considered themselves biased, they didn't have the proper education and they didn't have the correct mindset, which is so respectable to know that and to want to change that. And I think that that is reflected in the work that you're doing um, with the scholarships and particularly law students and as you said, you need more black lawyers, um, particularly in, in, in the southern states. Um, and that's incredible. But right now, 
there is also that very real issue of the fact that George Floyd was murdered. And right. I wondered if you could talk, because I, as you said earlier, that the trial is starting soon. I wondered if you could talk about the work that the foundation is doing on that at the minute and, and, and anything to do with that sort of thing. Definitely. Thank you. That's a great question. And, you know, uh, Gianna, the daughter of George Floyd, uh, I, I think uh, that was um, a very touching part of the awareness of the death of George Floyd, simply because if a young child that age knows the impact that her father had on the world and she has she she you know she she does not have a high school degree yet you know she's going to go to high school she doesn't have a college degree but she's going to go to college to know that she her young years knows how much impact that her dad has on the world at that that young age that anybody who's older than her should know that as well and that is what i got from her message um, so that, that was very a, a piece that really resonated with so many, just like you all. Uh, in terms of the trial um, that's coming up, um, so the judge in uh, Minneapolis actually decided to split the trial between uh, Derek Chauvin and the um, other officers um, who were there on scene. So the first, the murder trial uh, for Derek Chauvin will begin on March 8th of, of this year, of course. Um, and what the foundation is doing, we're educating people, um, educating people on, hey, there's a trial coming up. Let's demand the elect, the, the elect officials, the judges um, to have a free and fair trial um, and to bring about justice. We want fairness all across the board. We want those things that should be presented be presented. We want those discussions to be had. So let's have a free and fair trial. So we just released a petition this morning and we would like for you um, and your colleagues, your organizers to please help spread it, sign a petition um, as we're demanding a free and fair trial and transparency all across the board. Um, in addition, on starting March 8th, um, we were uh, a component of this campaign is we know that a petition is a start. But now let's start sending letters. So we partner with Culture Greetings. And whereas you all will be able to order postcards online, I think it's like $3.50, or it'll be a pre-written statement about demanding for justice, about demanding for a free and fair trial. And we're going to send tens of thousands of letters directly to those individuals who can bring about a change within this case. So that is what we'll be doing um, and continue to educate people on the journey. We want people involved with the case, involved with the trial. Um, they were involved with the marches. They were involved with the rallies. They were involved with the protests. But now let's, let's, let's get educated together. Let's bring awareness together. So I do know um, that over the next couple of weeks, um, the George Floyd um impact and awareness that we had over the summers will begin to increase more because this trial will be all on the televisions. People are going to be waking up, turning it on, wanting to know what's going on. Do we have a verdict? What's going on? Do we have justice? If not, let's continue to demand for justice. I think what you said is really powerful as well, because we were talking about social media earlier and kind of this idea of the in interconnected world. We should all be coming together. Like you've said um, a couple of times during this podcast, kind of 
people are so much stronger together. And I think it's also this idea of it doesn't stop. Social media is not a trend. These things aren't a trend. The fight continues. People have to band together and, and, and continue, you know, activism and fighting for things they believe in a year later. So I think, yeah, sharing petitions is just one way we can help, but we don't stop there. Or, um, you know, just because it was an issue last year doesn't mean it's not an issue now. So I and can... That's what, sorry, and, Karen. And, that's why I said, hey, you know, petition is one thing, but now yeah. we have to be more direct. Petition is virtual. Let's be direct. They're not going to want 10,000 of males every single day, but that's what we're going to send them. And that will bring attention. Let's get let's get George Floyd justice. Let's have a free and fair trial all across the board because we have constituents that's watching us. We have residents that's in Minneapolis, that's in wherever wherever residents are. We're holding our elected officials accountable. And that's one thing that I have seen on social media is constituents calling out their elected officials, informing them what they're not doing, what they should be doing, why they should be doing it, and what we're going to do if they're not going to do what they're supposed to do. And that's about, that's that, you know, elections come every, you know, two years, one year, four years, however it is. And what we're going to do is we're going to vote them out of office. Yeah. Keeping up that political engagement, not just during election time, but throughout the years. Yeah, all the time. Um, Season is every day. Election season is not a few few months before the actual election day. Election season is every day because you elect an official to represent you every day who's supposed to be going about to work with you every day. So the same drive they have on a campaign asking for your votes is the same drive they need to have every day waking up as they're going to and from the their office the senate chamber wherever thank you i was gonna ask next about obviously this podcast has kind of been timed so that we've been so honored to be able to speak to you but obviously it's black history month so we kind of wanted to ask you what that means to you and your work thank you what black history means to me black history for me means um, unity. It means education. Um, it means power to the people. Um, it means love. It means decency. It means respect. It, it, it means a thirst for knowledge. It, 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 it means so much. It means accountability. Um, it means so much because we, we've seen the years of enslavement. We've seen the years of individuals, of key people marching, protesting, rallying about the same things that we're doing today. We've seen the entrepreneurs, we've seen the creators create new products um, that has enabled us into a better, better America and a better people today. So let's celebrate Black culture. Let's celebrate what, ha- what has, what is, and what can be. Um, so I'm just excited and I know through our initiatives at the foundation and through the George Floyd Policing Act that's currently in legislation, we're having the hope to get past that we can continue to see a new day in America. And I know it will take people like you all and our listeners to be about the change and being the change that we wish to see. And that change first starts with ourselves. If we begin to change our minds, change our thoughts, change our actions, we can truly be the change that we wish to see in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, in our synagogues, in our churches, everywhere. We can be the change that we wish to see. Wow. Be the change that you wish to see. I think that's, I think that's beautiful. Um, and it's certainly something that, that we see 
in in the work that you're doing and we're very grateful for people like you and we're very inspired by people like you so thank you very much for that thank you so yes we we would love for each of you to get involved with the with the foundation we're we are going to be releasing a huge initiative in april that will have many individuals wanting to be a part. I can't speak on it now, but it's going to be great. And I definitely want to connect with you all at, uh, as you all are in London and that you all could help us drive this initiative in your area, as I know it will be great. But for now, we would love for you to continue to spread awareness, sign a petition, uh, purchase cards that we'll be releasing next week, and continue to donate to the George Floyd Memorial Foundation. Um, and we thank you all for what you all have done thus far. No, it would be our it would be our genuine privilege. I'd like to say a massive thank you to Jakari Harris for coming on today and giving up his early, early morning um, to spend some time with us, to drop some knowledge, drop some wisdom, um, to be inspiring, to tell us about the work that really matters in the world. Um, it's an honor and a privilege. And I hope that when we see you in the White House in 10, 15 years time, we might get an invitation to come and come for the correspondence dinner or at least something like that. But yeah. Definitely. <laughs> if, if I take that route, definitely you all will be on a VIP list. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jakari. Thank, Thank you. You all have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.